to young adults. Thank you for letting me be here with you. This is so, so exciting for me. Um, my name is Beth Vaccaro. I'm the HR director here. Everyone's like, what's HR? I don't know either, so when you find out, let me know. Um, I'm still learning my way around that, but I've been here on staff at New Life for nine years. I can't even believe I can say that because I remember being your age and sitting here and feeling like college and four years felt like an eternity. I'm like, four years, will college ever end? Let me tell you, it does really fast. And then you end up finding yourself like me saying, I've been on staff here for nine years. What? I'm not even that old, I promise. Um, but before this, I worked as a youth pastor for seven years. Um, don't do the math if you're trying right now to figure out how old I am. Um, but I worked as a youth pastor in New Mexico for seven years. And so being around students, um, young adults is one of my favorite places to be. And I couldn't be more excited to be here. And I just thank you, Pastor Eddie, Pastor Christina, for inviting me into this space. It's feel, it feels like I've known you guys for ever. And maybe that's because as an HR director, one of my jobs is to um, lead our new staff orientation. So when we hire people onto our staff, I lead new staff orientations. And when I was doing that with Pastor Christina, we were talking like, where are you from? Where are you from? You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm from this little town in New Mexico. No one's ever heard of it. And people always, the next question is, where? Like, maybe I have. And I'm like, no, promise, you haven't. It's this little town called Alamogordo, New Mexico. None of my friends, what? Do you know where it is? Shut up. That's amazing. <laughs> In Colorado, none of my friends know. Like, my friends call it Demogorgon because they can't remember that Alamogordo is what it is called, okay? So no one knows. And C Pastor Christina was like, what? I lived there. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, I went to Heights Elementary School. And I was like, I went to Heights Elementary School. And so we did some math. We were trying to figure out. And it turns out that we went to elementary school together. Can you guys? We didn't know it. So I didn't know this until I was meeting her here. But we crossed paths. We were walking across to lunch. I'm sure, like, I gave her a high five every now and then. I don't know. But we knew each other, and so thank you guys. It feels like I've known you forever. I'm going to say that I've known you since elementary school. I know, Eddie, you weren't in the picture then, but um, <laughs> we'll pretend. <laughs> I'll, just say, I'll just say that. But really, I feel so, so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Tonight, we're going to be continuing in the series that you guys have been in called Holiness in Humanity, where we talk about real-life stories, right, of Jesus coming here, coming to earth, and living as a human. I think sometimes we forget that. We're like, yeah, he's Jesus. Yeah, but he came down, he humbled himself and came down and lived as a human among real people like you and me. And I just think it's really cool to get to watch and see and learn from the person of Jesus because we get to see ourselves all over that text. Right? So tonight's not going to be any different. We're going to be talking about a story out of the book of John chapter 12 where Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. And if you guys are anything like me, I grew up in church. I was around church for a long time. I taught Sunday school classes. How many of you would say that was you? You grew up in church. You Raise your hand. Hi. Hi, hi. Okay. I love that. Okay, so I grew up in the church. I studied the Bible, kind of. 
I did that more later. Um, uh, but I grew up in sermons like this where I would hear sermons. I would hear all the stories. I read my Bible. I read um, all of the stories that I learned. And um, the tendency, right, is to go, oh, I've heard this story before. Right? And that's kind of what I did. I, Eddie sent me a list of, like, here are all the texts you can preach out of. And so I was like, okay, I want to preach out of this one. And I read it really fast, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know when Mary anoints Jesus. I can totally talk about how she worshiped Jesus and how she gave all of her love and pure and undefiled worship at his feet. I can totally do this. And I felt the Lord beckon me, like, hey, Beth, read it again. Look at it again with fresh eyes. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to read it. Some of you maybe are hearing it for the first time. Some of you have heard it a thousand times. But we're going to pretend like all of us have never heard it before. We're going to read it like we've, um, like we're reading it for the first time. Because how many of you guys know that the Bible is alive and active? (laughs) The greatest thing about getting older is realizing that every time I read the word, I'm surprised by it. That the Lord shows me and reveals a new side of his character to me every time I open a passage. And if I skim through it, I might miss it. But if I sit with it, if I open it, if I question it, if I go, God, why is this in here? Then he is faithful to speak to us in new and fresh ways. Um, This reminds me of a story. I was about your age. And again, I had grown up in church, so I was like, I know the Bible. And I found myself in my little dorm room. It's like this big. Um... I was living with a roommate, but I was really excited because it's the first time away from my parents. I was like, oh, I've made it in life. I have freedom. Um, all while, like, the person that I don't know in the bed sleeping next to me is, like, right there. I'm like, that's not freedom. What? Dorm rooms are not freedom. Um, but I was in this. I was reading my Bible, and I came across a passage um, in Genesis about Noah's Ark. How many of you? Noah's Ark. You got it. Like, yep, 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 yep. That was me. I was like, I got this. I could tell you the whole story. I could kind of just skim through it. And I started to read it that day. And I came um, up to um, verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 2, where it's talking about how many animals Noah has to, this is a silly story, guys, but how many animals he has to, and I'm like, two of each kind, a male and a female, duh, right? And I read this, take with you seven pairs, this is God telling telling Noah, take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And also, seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep the various kinds alive throughout the earth. What? Guys, I thought there was only two of each kind. (laughs) Like, I have known this story since I was this big, at least. And I read that, and I'm like, God, I mean, it blew my mind at the fact that there was something in there that I had gotten wrong for years and years. Well, today I am praying and I am believing that the Lord is beckoning all of us into this text. And maybe we will all have a, what? God, that's how good you are. What? God, you see me like that? What? Like, that is what I'm praying for. Can we pray for that together? Will you guys lean in with me and read this text in a new and fresh way? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, we give it to you. We devote ourselves and our lives to you. And we want to be in awe of you. So, Holy Spirit, would you come into this place? Would you speak to us? 
Holy Spirit, would you show us your words afresh today? All of us have heard some bits and pieces of this story. Lord, I pray that today you would open our eyes to see it in a new and a fresh way. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Speak to each of us individually where we are at through this text. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray that nothing comes out of my mouth that is not from you. Jesus, we devote this time to you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So before we get into John chapter 12, I want to set the scene. Because I want you guys to know where we're at. So, geez, we find ourselves walking with Jesus. Okay, they did a lot of walking. There weren't cars. Planes, trains, <laughs> there wasn't any kind of vehicle like this. So they did a lot of walking, and they're walking. This is a week out from Jesus' death, one week. And he's Jesus. He's fully human, but he's Jesus, so he knows that he is a week out from his death. And he's walking with his disciples towards Jerusalem. And he had been communicating, you know, I can imagine walking that there's a lot of time to talk to the disciples. Can you guys see that? Like there's a lot of time. And he'd been telling them, guys, the time of my death is drawing near. He'd been telling them and they were not getting it. They just were like, yeah, 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 well, I don't know. Sure, when you're old and gray, like, yeah, you'll die. And he's like, okay, well, we'll keep walking, right? Like we'll just keep, we'll just keep going. And they stop in a town called Bethany. My name is Bethany. <laughs> um, not my town. But it could have been, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so he stops in a town called Bethany, and this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 12. So John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Okay, if we're going to look at this text and we're going we're, we're gonna to slow down, let's stop there. Can you guys imagine this? They've been walking for miles and miles. They're probably tired. They probably don't smell super great. Um, and they get to Bethany, and there's a meal prepared for them. Have you guys ever done, like, a long run or, like, a long and you're, like, hungry? Like, that's what I'm picturing here, right? I'm picturing Jesus and the disciples are, like, we're hungry. And not only are we going to stop for food, but we're going to stop for food at our friend's house. Like, we are going to stop and eat food with Lazarus and his sisters, and there's probably several other people there that they know. Because if you guys know um, the word, you know, just a couple of chapters before, Jesus is raising Lazarus from, from the dead, right? And so they're all around their friends. They've experienced and witnessed miracles together, and they're eating with him at the table. I can imagine what that smells like. I doubt they, like, door dashed it in, right? Like, that's probably not a thing. This meal is home-cooked. It's good. It's, the smells are filling the house. And it says that Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Reclining. Can you guys imagine? Like, they're just chilling. They are having the time of their life, having deep, good conversations with one another. They've just had good food. And then in verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What? <laughs> Anyone? 
like, I'm just going to be real with you guys. Like, if I stop and slow down long enough, I'm like, okay, I get it. I get what's happening. They're eating a meal. They're hanging out with their friends. Mary, what are you doing, girl? Like, you are messing this story up. And not only are you messing it up, can you just imagine, like, they're all talking, they're hanging out, they're eating food. My imagination goes crazy, all right? So I'm going to try to, like, pull you guys into that. They're eating food, and they're like, yeah, Jesus, what? And then all of a sudden, Mary's on her feet or on her knees in front of Jesus. I don't want to imagine Jesus' feet too much because I don't like feet. And they're probably gross because they've been walking, and they're probably dirty. And then she dumps, what does it say? A pound of ointment, a pound. Guys, this is like an essential oil. Nard was, it came from, comes from a spike, like how many essential oils, anyone, anyone, anyone? Okay, like you know how like essential oils are like this big and they're so expensive? Like this, think like two cups of essential oil that Mary is dumping on Jesus's feet. People eating, and they're like, (laughs) the air is sucked out of the room, right? Like, no one knows what to say or what to do. Everyone stops talking. And then, not only that, but then she takes her hair and starts wiping it. You guys catching this? (laughs) What? Now her hair is dripping in oil. Everyone doesn't know what to say. The whole house, it doesn't even matter what the food was. doesn't even matter because how many of you know that whatever the smell of that nard was, that's what everyone was tasting. So if anyone had their food left, they're like, ew, gross, yeah? Like, what is Mary doing? This is impractical. This is inefficient. This is ineffective. So then we keep going in verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him. I love that John does that to Judas. Like, by the way, (laughs) about to betray Jesus. Said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. What? (laughs) How many times I'm like, those two stories don't feel like they go together. Like, those are weird things. And also, does anyone feel a little bit bad for Judas? Like, because how many of you would have been Judas in this scenario? I know I would have been, like, is this is happening to Ed, Pastor Eddie? Like, I'm in the back of the room, like, waiting for him to wink twice at me so I can come and get Mary off of it, right? I'd be like, no, like, Mary, we're going to drag her out. Like, Pastor Eddie, just send up a sign, like, right? Like, get her out of here. This Lady is destroying the moment that they were just having. What is she doing? I would have been just like Judas. I would have been like, what is she doing? Also, I'm sure there's a better use for that oil. Like, I'm sure there's something that can be done. The waste of that oil. Now, what's important to note is that oil... 300 denarii, guys, that's not like 300 bucks, that's not 30 bucks. 300, one denarii is what you would make in a day's wages. So 300 is almost a year's worth of wages that she just dumps 
all over Jesus's feet a year. And it likely was probably part of an inheritance that her parents had given her for herself, for when she got married, for the special moments in her life to do something really cool with it. And all of a sudden, she just wasted that. I could kind of see Judas's point. Now, the, the author, John, tells us, like, he's going to betray him. So we're like, oh, yeah, he's bad automatically, right? But can you imagine being in the room? You don't know that. You don't know he's going to be bad. You're like, I bet you money, denarii, that um, <laughs> I bet you that there were other people in the room thinking the same thing. Judas was just the one to say it, right? Judas was just the one to say it. So I can just put myself here and go, okay, Jesus, what are you going to say to this? He could have done so many things. Oh, also important to know, women did not anoint men in this time. So what she was doing was not okay. Women didn't wear their hair down. So if her hair was down to wipe the feet of Jesus, that was also not okay. In their culture and time, this would have been something that everyone would have been like, Mary is wrong. And they're waiting for Jesus to say it. But what does Jesus say? In verse 7, Jesus says, leave her alone. So that she may keep it for the day of my burial, because I've been telling you guys, like, it's coming. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Can you guys feel the tension that's being painted in this story? Like, there's an, uh, like a palpable tension that we can feel. I picture Mary after hearing Judas <laughs> looking up at Jesus, like, save me, <laughs> like, right? Like, help me. I don't even know. I wonder what Mary was thinking. Like, did she know? Was she standing at the back of the room and was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. Or was she just overcome and she was there and then all of a sudden everyone stops talking and she's down at Jesus' feet and she looks up and she's waiting because she knows what she has done is not okay. And then Jesus goes, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Because Jesus can sense the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And Jesus creates safe places for all of us. And he goes, leave her alone. What I really love about this story and that I didn't see the first 15,000 times that I read it, is the incredible contrast between Judas's betrayal and Mary's devotion, right? You see this incredible contrast. And so then as I was reading it, I'm like, okay, there's these two contrasts. Which one am I, right? Am I going to be found in the place of Mary? Am I going to be found in the place of Judas? Because I can kind of see places in my life where I've been both of them. And see, I think what John does brilliantly and what he captures in this text is that this tension is a tension that lives inside of us. It's not whether you're Mary or whether you're Judas, it's that you're both. That both of those things exist in each and every one of us. And what I love about looking, so we're back in Mary's story, and what I love is that I think Mary has caught the holiness of the moment. She sees what everyone else, including the disciples, have missed. She's caught it. 
And Judas is blinded by what? His, himself. He's blinded by self-interest. But because Mary sees Jesus in this moment, she's willing to give up everything. All of her hopes. It's my inheritance. Here you can have it. It's my reputation. Here you can have it. I might get in trouble. Here you can have it. Because Jesus, I've caught the holiness of what you're trying to do. And I see something that no one else sees. And meanwhile, Judas is going, oh, that's maybe a bad idea. He's so blinded by himself that he's in the room with Jesus, and he misses him. Maybe we can find ourselves in this story. Maybe we can find ourselves, and even maybe tonight you're like, I can feel that tension. I want to give everything to Jesus, and I want to devote my life to him, and yet then I feel myself pulling back, because what if I can't trust that? And what if I give everything? Jesus isn't good after all. And we pull back and we say, no, 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 it's a lot smarter. It's a lot smarter to live for myself. It's a lot smarter to build up my bank account. It's a lot smarter to work really hard. It's a lot smarter to make sure all my ducks are in line, right? Like, it's a lot smarter to do this stuff. But Jesus, oh, I can. I'm not just looking at Judas anymore like, what a fool. I'm looking at Beth and going, oh, I have felt that moment where I haven't been willing to give it all, to look like Jesus, to give it all and say, okay, Jesus, what do you have for us? Knowing, knowing. The idol of certainty removes us from the hum humility to see God. Let me say that again. The idol of certainty removes us from the ability and the humility to see God. And I think that's all Judas was trying to do. He was certain of this. This he knew, and he missed it. How many times have we missed God in the name of God? How many times have we done it? How many times have we been so sure, even maybe for our friends to the left and to the right, like, hey, what you're doing is not okay, and I'm so sure of it, and I'm so, and all of a sudden we've missed the holiness. Because see, when holiness came into humanity, that means it could be infused into moments. Jesus infuses his holiness into moments. He infuses his holiness into people. And if we're not careful, we will miss it in the name of God. The way of faith, the life of faith, will always look different than the way of the world. I think of this now, and I'm like, man, would I have done what Mary did? Oh, man. That's a level of vulnerability that I don't know I'm willing to go to. Right? It sounds so good. It's like Mary's amazing. We all want to be like Mary. <laughs> and then when it comes, push comes to shove, are we willing to give up everything? 
and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, more of you, so that we don't miss those, those moments. And then how do we do it? If we're in this tension, do you guys think this tension's ever going to go away in our lives, in our human lives? You think? No. I wish. And I hope that when I'm like 80, 90, yeah, I was going to say 100, but I don't know if I want to get that far. Um, 80, 90, like I hope when I'm in that place that the tension to be self-centered is a lot less, but I doubt it's going to be gone, right? There's always this call back to ourselves and always this continual laying down of ourselves to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. And so how do we do it? How do we position ourselves so that we can see holiness in these moments? Micah 6, um, chapter 6, verse 8 says, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Which sounds beautiful, right? That humility, like, I want to be humble. But I think we're all a little scared of it, too, aren't we? Because humility looks a lot like vulnerability. Would you guys say that Mary was in a super vulnerable place in that moment? Yeah. Humility looks a lot like vulnerability, and we're so afraid that if we're vulnerable, we won't be protected. But I think what's on the other side of vulnerability with Jesus is holiness, is goodness, is a thing that we can only get if we humble ourselves before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we say, we don't have enough and God less of me and more of you right? Like if we can't get to that place over and over, and you guys, as you get older and as you grow, you're going to find yourself, you're like, okay, I got it. And then you get into a new season of life and you're like, oh, I don't got it. Like I don't have it anymore. I need to relearn and to re-give and to, oh, I have more to lose in this season. Like I have the job I've always wanted, or I have the boyfriend or the girlfriend that I've always wanted. I have a lot to lose, Jesus. Like, can I be that vulnerable? And the older you get, the more earthly stuff starts getting added to you. And can you be that vulnerable? I think we can. But it's going to require humility and it's going to require confession. So I want to do something tonight. I want to pray a prayer of confession together. As a group, I want to, so everyone stand up with me. The words are going to be on the screen, and we're going to pray this together. When we're done, I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond saying, Jesus, I don't know what this means for me right now. I don't know what this means for each of you, but I am praying that the Lord is showing you right now the places where you can go, okay, I'll be vulnerable. I'll enter into humility. God, I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss you. So let's pray this prayer together. Most merciful God, loud, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. 
We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Jesus, I thank you for this group of young people. God, I thank you for the callings you have placed on their lives even now. God, I thank you for their first yes and their second yes and their third yes. God, I thank you that they will say yes all the days of their lives. God, I thank you that they will humble themselves before you, that they will pour everything out, God, no matter the cost, no matter what it costs them, no matter what people might think of them, Jesus, that they will lay all of it at your feet. God, I pray that they would resist the enemy and the plan he has, Lord, and that they would follow you. I pray that they would love what is good and they would hate what is evil all of the days of their lives, Lord. I pray that you would teach us all how to be more like you. It's in your name, Jesus. We can pray these things because of what you did on that cross just a week later. We can pray these things because of the work you did on the cross, and we thank you for that. In your name, amen. Thank you.